there are two beautiful ways we get our ego so attached to one is to the body another two is the mind so through the body we are trying to force ourselves to find peace and through the mind we are trying to say oh i know this i'm i i understand this and so that i will go and talk about this to others to really attract more people follow me but if you actually look at these two paths which is leading us is actually taking towards suffering and any yoga teacher who's doing amazing um, asana practice is not free from suffering is also experiencing pain is also experiencing ups and downs in life there are a lot of emotions which overflow and there is no equanimity at all i would say if you want to really live yoga go into silence for 3 4 days and that is where you will live yoga practice not in your asanas not in your yoga sutras uh, not in your brain you can't think and experience anything you actually have to put that in your mouth to feel it you know welcome to a curious yogi podcast i'm your host bobby and these are my conversations with sadaks satsangis and other spiritual seekers join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path Each week you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to A Curious Yogi. Here we are, another week, another episode. I'm smiling. Can you hear it? I hope you're smiling too. It's a real delight once again to be with you and share in this lovely conversation a lot of smiles and wisdom as i'm joined by the brilliant mind and heart of joshna ramakrishnan a yoga teacher student entrepreneur and just overall inspiring beautiful humble human joshna started yoga as a young kid mastering asana practice at a very young age which led her to question about the philosophy and the deeper aspects of yoga as a young adult Joshna has traveled far and wide in India from the Himalayas to Mysore to study with different masters to really understand the essence of yoga. From this travel and search, she met great teachers who showed her the life of yoga is to be humble and look within with sincerity and dedication. Mm, I love that. Joshna currently follows and studies Vinyasa Krama with her teacher Sri Vatsa Ramaswami sir, who is the longest-standing student of Sri T Krishnamacharya, the father of modern yoga. She is the founder of the school Atma Yoga Shala in Chennai through which she conducts vinyasa krama teacher trainings classes workshops for students in India, China and around the world who are keen on learning about themselves through yoga and to spread this science to generations to come. She's also the brand ambassador for Lululemon in China. In this episode we touch on so much we talk about the power of pranayama the two paths of body and mind where we all get bound in suffering holistic traditions of vinyasa krama the compassionate love of guru and student vipassana and the utmost importance of silence stillness and sitting in the experience of true yoga so much in this episode i hope you enjoy i'm so excited to share it with you Welcome to the show, Joshna. Thank you so much, Bobby, and uh, it's such a pleasure and also an honor to be here with you and share 
the yoga journey together. So I'm really happy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've we've been connected online for a little while now. I became introduced to you a couple of years back when you were um, teaching for One Yoga in Vancouver. You were doing some online classes, and I started following your story. And I I'm on your Yoga Shala newsletter list, and I just love what you stand for and just how beautiful your offerings are your creations so i'm so excited to hear your story and get into it yes i also value our connection uh, we did something and you're doing so many beautiful things in himachal and you're doing something for world aids day and you did it last year and we partnered together unfortunately i was away from um, the network area so i couldn't connect this time but um, hopefully more to come and we will connect in the future as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So as I mentioned before we press record, this podcast is really for any spiritual seeker for, you know, and I, I'm so excited to hear not only your story, but your wisdom as someone who teaches yoga, you live yoga and you practice yoga in such an authentic way. Um, so I'd love to just start by hearing your story of how you not only came to yoga, but how you came on to a spiritual path. Like what has that journey been like for you? So for this, we have to rewind really to my early days of how I started yoga. Uh, my dad actually introduced me to yoga practice. And this happened when I was just 12 years old. And um, my both my parents are very spiritual. So they had all these books lined up in their library, which read Atman, Soul, and yoga. So at 12 years, you are not someone who are ready to receive this wisdom. But uh, because just to be cool and hang with them for a longer period of time. So I also sit and just browse through, through these books as if I understand and I listen to their conversation like an adult to try to grasp everything what they're talking about. So uh, even then it was more like I want to hang with the adult people, you know, they are grown up ones. So I could just sit and be, listen, be a listener. But there was no interest as such in philosophy of yoga, but I was also motivated to do a lot of asana practice. I practiced for five years, for five hours every day, almost from 12 to until I finished my high school, 15, 16. And then I went to do my college in my 18 years old. And when I did my college, I really forgot about all the asana practices I've done, but I just used it to show off some postures in the college cultural days and you know get some nice recognition and just use it for the name and fame of it because I was flexible and bendy and strong right uh, so even then there was no actually like a physical except for physical aspect of it I was not really um, tuned towards the spiritual aspect of it maybe it took a lot of time for the seed to grow inside me uh, from the time I started because it's not like a beautiful story like oh my dad in like, you know, he's a spiritual practitioner. So I also became a spiritual practitioner. No, it didn't happen like that. Uh, it actually happened very slowly. So from the age of 12 until 21, I embraced the physical aspect of yoga. So there was a lot of yoga competitions in India. So I used to compete like what you call these competitions, asana competitions, not really yoga competitions, like how bendy you are when you're smiling, if you're doing this posture. It was really funny. But that was something which motivated me as a young adult to actually take up the physical practice. Otherwise, if there was no recognition, probably I wouldn't have done it, you know. So at that teenage years, I wanted that recognition so much. And it was all about the ego part of it, which is unfortunately not the real yoga part of it. 
but um, that's how it motivated me to stay in the asana practice. But then after 21, I finished uh, my college. I finished um, master's in like bachelor's in engineering, uh, computer science. And then life took a big turn because all I wanted to do did not happen. So the suffering kind of, you know, hit me at that point, like I want to go study abroad and wanted to be in a good job, even though I got placed, but the stars were unaligned. So I could not do it at that time. So I'm like, okay, now I'm going to turn to yoga practice and really understand what it is, why they do this all this uh, life. And that is when uh, this question of who am I, why are we here? All these uh, questions we don't have answers for start to appear. And following these questions, it led me to different ashrams. Um, I went to Shivananda Ashram and I stayed there for a month for doing this teacher training program and then following up with the sadhana intensive and then going actually to the Himalayas um, to study with different teachers and really asking them these questions because there was a lot of questions. It was intellectually, I was intellectually curious, right? Um, I don't know if I wanted a practical experience, but I was just wanting to know how these yogis live there and what is their experience like. And then I got to, to go to China and still it was more like an intellectual experience and still it was more a physical and intellectual experience. It was not like a life-changing experience or any of that. And I was somehow very patient with it or I don't know, maybe I just went with it. Um, so after all that, the more I practiced pranayama, that's when I felt a little bit of a change in my emotional state of being and how I used to be before to how I was after my pranayama practice and pranayama sadhana. Because asanas I've been practicing for so long, so I couldn't really see the difference because I was flexible and strong from 12. And when it came to pranayama, it was new and it really broke open a lot of things spiritually for me to understand my emotional health and well-being. So that is when the spiritual experience actually came when I was say 24, 25, not before that, it was still very physical and feel very intellectual um, to understand it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so interesting to hear you uh, talk about being in these asana competitions and how uh, you came to yoga in this physical way because like here in the West, a lot of people also come to uh, to yoga through the asana, not through competitions, but through studio culture, which can be competitive by nature. So I think it's really interesting that the asana can be the doorway to that deeper aspects of yoga. And, and sometimes I know myself, I get a bit like, um, disheartened with all the asana that's happened but it is kind of a reminder for me like okay the asana can be a doorway if we keep going deeper so what was the experience of the pranayama that like made the deeper elements come forward for you like what was the experience in the pranayama for you that became spiritual mm -hmm. So like the shift of perspective happened right after the practice, not just in my mind, but also in the way I saw my body. So I did this pranayama intensive um, in, in a sadhana intensive course in Shivananda Ashram up in Uttarakhand. And uh, 
I've never done any trek before in my life before that. So at, right after Pranayama, they planned a trek towards um, Gangotri oh, and Gomuk. So that's like a glacier you trek for like 12 hours. And I've never done anything before. So I've never climbed a mountain or walked so much in my life. So it's just after Pranayama practice. So I started walking and we had a group of people who did this in four hours and five hours. Some of them were professionals. So I was thinking to myself, what's going on? And that one whole moment with, with yourself, silence, and that pranayama the energy which you actually experienced changed the way I looked at life. And I did not feel tired the whole time I went up there. And only after I reached there, I actually felt I was tired. And I could, I understood that my body is capable of more if I trained my prana. And the way I thought about life, it kind of, um, how to say, from uh, a level where you understand, oh, this is this, this is this intellectually, there I had access to that energy physically and mentally. So sitting and doing pranayama is one of the most important aspect for understanding life, at least spiritually for me. Um, and that was not just one hour of pranayama day. It was eight to 10 hours of pranayama for seven days, every single day. So it was like really a moment of you and just your breath for eight to nine hours every single day, right? You're thinking about the breath, you're manipulating the breath, you're controlling it in different parts. So that actually combined with sitting with yourself in silence and focusing there, uh, gave me an experience which I had intellectual understanding of. And I felt free. I, I felt the meaning of freedom, you know, in my heart. So not to like try to uh, make it more mystical or magical. There is nothing mystical or magical about it. It's actually very logical. It's just that we have heard all of this, but we have never actually sat and did the practice by ourselves for a considerable amount of time to feel it. You know, there are a lot of yoga sutras you read about the siddhis and the, there are a lot of powers you get if you do this and if you do that. It is still at an intellectual understanding for most of us. And we try to get carried away. That intellectual understanding feels more empowering, but that is not the real truth. That is still somebody else's experience. And we haven't experienced that. So this, Pranayama change from being just understanding it intellectually, actually having that experience in your physical body, you know? So that actually connected, oh, this is what yogis are talking about. And this actually happened to this practice, you know? Mm -hmm. That sounds really powerful. Eight hours a day. Wow. That's like yeah. very intense. So now is, is your pranayama a a part of your like non-negotiable daily sadhana like your daily practice is it something that's there with you i'm not gonna be uh i want to be honest conversation actually not because of the daily life you're caught up with so many things so pranama practice as much as i would love to do it every single day but sometimes i miss it um so there is so i try to take it day by day and I do not have a particular goal or 
let's say this is how much i should practice none of that because that creates a lot of guilt if you don't so i take it one step at a time so today if i have the time to do pranayama i'll do the pranayama practice and if i do not have the time and you can just sit in silence i'll try and sit in silence or i can only practice asana today i will still practice just the asana so i take every day one at a time and there is no two days which are similar so there is no way that you can force your body or your mind to do anything which does not fit in you i'm not talking about the discipline part discipline part is to have yoga as a practice throughout the day um but a specific specific practice i would try and do it let's say 4 or 5 hours whenever i have like a holiday and i can just go deep inside then i can sit in for silence for few hours or i'll do pranayama for more than i would like to do in a daily day basis right that's a good that's a good lesson for me to take sometimes i find i get very strict with my daily practice and you're right it it's that's how living living life and living yoga should be day by day moment to moment so thank you for that inspiration i'm wondering so you did your um teacher training with a in the shivananda tradition and then i know now one of your main teachers is the very incredible wonderful shri vatsa ramaswami and I'm wondering how you came to the Krishna Macharya lineage like what was that shift for you Um this shift happened to me because of the search because as I went from Shivananda I directly became a yoga teacher and went to China to teach and in China the perspective of yoga was very different and they wanted me to teach hot yoga which I was like I wasn't sure what hot yoga was so I have to google it up at that time and <laughs> understand what hot yoga was this was in 2009 and 10 so and then I decided okay then I do not know a lot about yoga so I wanted to come back to India and study more and I came to India not just because of hot yoga but because of the different traditions and ayanga was very popular in china so i wanted to go and go deep into ayanga yoga practice as well and i had few teachers who were teaching ayanga yoga in china so i came down back to india and i started as working in a school here um, as a yoga teacher and then that gave me opportunity to travel so every year i would try to choose one or two schools of yoga uh, tradition and just be open and be a student and go and learn so i tried um ashtanga vinyasa practice uh in mysore with uh, shishalat joyce and then i also tried ayangar uh, yoga with one of the teachers from rishikesh um uh, for a few months and then there are many traditions under krishnamacharya so that's how i got introduced to shri krishnamacharya and the tradition so i went and explored and i come from chennai and krishnamacharya school is in chennai you know so i've never went there straight i went all the way to rishikesh <laughs> mysore to come to chennai <laughs> to kym and uh, i heard about uh, ramaswami sir through a friend who also practiced ashtanga with me uh, back in the days and i asked uh, so he suggested i go to this class and i went there with a lot of questions in my mind say krishnamacharya is one person but how can he teach many different things like ayangar yoga is completely different from what ashtanga is right so i had these questions and vinyasa krama actually gave me all the answers and it connected all the dots why you're practicing this particular sequence what is the logical order behind it why the primary series is even de- designed this way and how do you actually grow in a self practice how do you understand your body and 
also Iyengar yoga with alignment and Ashtanga yoga with its discipline. So everything like kind of, oh, this is what it is. This is what the asana practice is, you know, this gave me that insight. And then the moment I met my teacher, I think uh, there was instant uh, surrender happened. And, and, and like, how do I say it? Like compassionate love. I have experienced it from him. Um, because I've traveled and studied with so many different teachers, but this compassionate love from a teacher directly to a student was um, mind-blowing. And the way he addresses people from the way how he treats you, because you're a very, like, for example, he's an eight, three-year-old man, and I, I ask them questions, but the way he answers it, he always uses kind words to answer it and never ridicules anybody for any questions. And he was more approachable and he was open to say, you have learned so many different styles. You should go and teach everything what you have in your heart. I've never experienced this kind of love from a, a teacher who is so open-minded and so giving and, and has so much of knowledge. And, but he, had, he has so much of humility and one thing I want to learn from his is that, you know, that essence that he wants purely share what he has, nothing else is the agenda, you know? So that inspired me to follow him. So wherever he went, wherever, whatever he taught, I went and stalked him basically <laughs> and followed him wherever he went. So we went, uh, he went to Chicago to teach a yoga rahasya program. I'll go to Chicago and he goes to Vancouver to teach hundred hour program. I took that many times uh, in different places. So I just became like uh, someone who follows him and understands his, and the way he teaches yoga is more logical and it's no mystery. There is no um, uh, fancy words used, it just makes it easy to everybody to understand. So that was really like for me, uh, very pleasing. And I uh, kind of understood that energy very well and i just started practicing and teaching and he's been a great support and i'm extremely grateful to be able to even uh, meet him and learn from him and now hosting his lessons in through Shala, which is such a um, we're very very blessed that way wow that's such a beautiful expression of the meeting with him and that compassionate love that you feel for your teacher and i'm just thinking of people that might be listening like how you talked about, you know, the uh, Ashtanga tradition and there's all these traditions of yoga and in the West, vinyasa is quite popular in a way that it's become this kind of flowing vinyasa yoga. But I know a lot of people haven't heard of vinyasa krama. Can you just briefly touch on what vinyasa krama is? Krama is, okay. Mm -hmm. So the word vinyasa, it's a compound word, V and nyasa, V is special. Nyasa is to place and Krama is a sequence. So actually to place a particular asana in a sequence in a special way, that's Vinyasa Krama. So what is the special way? So Krishnamacharya using his intelligence, he divided the sequence into 10 different sequences. Um, the first one is called the Tadasana sequence, the sequence which will involve re releasing any tension in all the joints. So this is like an absolute, um, joy for beginners to practice because when you approach yoga you immediately either start with a surya namaskara practice or you start with um, like a warm-up practice 
but this tadasana it has a logical order you will start with warming up from your wrists actually from your knuckles your fingers your wrist your elbows your shoulders your entire spine and all different movements your hips your knees your ankles before you actually learn anything else so can you imagine just warming up your joints is the first thing you will learn in the tradition and before you learn surya namaskar or you learn other practices you know so why that was important is people come in all different age groups so by doing this tadasana they know where their limitation is in their physical body in their joints so based on that they can change the practice the way they want and every vinyasa krama class that started by our teacher ramaswami sir it starts with a dynamic practice which is a 40 minute lot of movement based practice with everything with breath so another thing about vinyasa krama is if even if you move your little finger you move it with the either inhale or an exhale so you don't move uh, even if you come back with your hands down you don't just drop your hands down you will drop it with your breath so your breath will let's say your breath is your larger set and your asana will be your, your movement will be a subset under breath so your breath will start first and then the movement will start the movement will end and then the breath will end so for example you take your hands up interlock your fingers you will start your inhale first before you actually move and your inhale should go on until your movement finishes and after it for a second so you actually controlling your breath the whole time and you're doing ujjayi through it so that's your dynamic practice so the first dynamic practice is a lot of movements based with your breath and the second part is static practice so it's like more like an ayengar style you stay in a posture for a longer period of time the first is like ashtanga style you know so you stay in posture let's say paschimottanasana seated forward bend for 5 to 15 minutes you stay in headstand 5 to 15 minutes with the bandhas so he will teach you the bandhas immediately right after you start your tadasana practice and then we will have your pranayama practice so every class has a 40 minute pranayama practice and then we had a um, our pratyahara practice or dharana practice for 15 minutes so each vinyasa krama class will be a combination of asana pranayama pratyahara and dharana so even the asana is divided into dynamic and static dynamic addressing the joints and bones ligaments muscles static addressing your internal organs and pranayama addressing your prana and dharana for your mind so if you actually look at it it's a holistic approach to yoga what do you actually think of a yoga practices so for me this connected all the dots and the questions i had about why we should practice asana why we should practice this asana in particular so that's vinyasa krama in where um, i'm i'm trying to make it even more shorter but yeah it's 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 what it is so yeah so even the brief way you described it i'm sure it obviously has a lot we could probably talk about it for hours as i know you do in your teacher trainings but just the whole complete picture because so often i think especially for people that aren't familiar with all the the wide scope of yoga it can be almost like overwhelming like decision fatigue like do i go to this class do i do this like where do i put my attention what do i focus on when there's all these very important pillars of a like you said holistic practice So thank you for explaining that. I think it's really important that as yoga practitioners and people who are learning about yoga, we really understand what these traditions and practices are so we can understand what's the best practice for me and the vinyasa krama 
sounds really holistic in that way. Yeah, and also another thing about Vinyasa Krama is it is not a set practice. Each individual is different and unique. So based on an individual practitioner, you can change or modify the sequence. Um, even though we have a set sequence, you can pick and choose what you can do and you develop a particular self-practice sequence by yourself. So you are investing more energy in finding out what your sequence is. So that will fit you. So you're always your better guide. You're always your better teacher. So you learn the techniques from a properly from a teacher, but you will put the puzzle piece together. So that way it also gives you more, how to say, independence from the teacher and the tradition, and you can develop as an individual from there. So that is also one of the most attractive aspect of Vinyasa Krama Yoga for me, that you, each individual was different and each individual is different and you can change the practice for each one of you. Mm, yeah. yeah, that is really important because um, to have the autonomy over our own practice, like what works for my teacher or a more advanced student or even a less ad advanced student might not be what I need right now. Or even how you said right at the beginning, like every day is different. Every day is fresh. What I need today might not be what I needed yesterday. So how right. amazing to have the tool belt or the toolbox to like pull out what you need. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you, you touched on um, having um, Ramaswamy, sir, in coming to teach at the Yoga Shala. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about starting the Atma Shala in Chennai and what that journey has been like for you as not only moving into becoming a yoga teacher, but a studio owner and really an ambassador for yoga, not only in your community in Chennai, but for India in general? It all happened uh, because of COVID. So thanks to COVID in one way. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> but um, because I was in China, I ran a yoga school there in China in Guangzhou. And I was more focused on Vinyasa Krama trainings, teacher training programs in China. And we have done like 500 uh, students done Vinyasa Krama teacher training. They've taken this program and they've become teachers. Um, so last four, before COVID, four years, I spent my time doing this kind of work. And when I came back to India for a wedding and I got stuck because it was COVID. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I went to, the best thing I do when I know, when I don't know what to do is I go into silence. And I went to Thiruvannamalai and uh, I meditated in Ramana's ashram. So I'm also a disciple of Sri Ramana Maharishi in Thiruvannamalai. So I went there and I just sat there for hours saying, I don't know what else to do. Now I can't go back to where I came from. Um, I mean, where I was for all these years and I don't have any connections or anything in Chennai, even though I grew up in Chennai, but everybody moved on. They have their own lives. I didn't even have friends who I could call and everybody were in different countries or different places. So I just went there and I surrendered and I went there for a week right before lockdown. And I just stayed there and said, I don't know what to do next. So let me know. And this thought came up saying, uh, why don't you start a school in Chennai right now? And uh, we can do online lessons. So I started doing the COVID to offer first free meditation lessons because people are very anxious. And I also kind of knew the situation in China because I was so connected and it happened all started there. So there was anxiety more there before we actually get on board and see for 
see it for what it is. So I, I started offering free classes in China first. And then I said, why not I do the same here? Because people are very anxious and also they don't know what is next and a lot of fear. So I started doing that and then it could be led one thing led to another. And I found an amazing team who said they will come on board to do this together. And uh, so it was all just like uh, universe giving its own way to offer me things to start. And I started a school just online. We're doing like one class every one class every day and it became two class every day. And one year later, we found this place and we started a studio. And then now we are two years uh, in Chennai. But um, then my teacher came on board because he was teaching um, online a lot. So I approached him to say, sir, can you teach for Atma Yogeshwara as well? And he was very, um, very kind to accept it. And he started teaching classes at Atma Yogeshwara online mostly. And uh, so, yeah, so that's the journey. It was all like, uh, like it wasn't, un wasn't planned. It was just like most, mostly like I surrendered and <laughs> this was uh, the result of surrender. So <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, quite happy well. about it too. Yeah, yeah. I I was I was browsing over the Atma Yoga Shala website, and I I just wanted to share something. Like I read uh, on your mission page, your you and your team said that we see a future where everyone begins to practice and embrace yoga in its entirety and go beyond the yoga we see today. Because trust us, if everyone did practice real yoga, this world would be a much better place to live in. And I love that because it's so true <laughs> and I'm wondering if you can touch on go what go beyond the yoga we see today means mm. so we are two ways we are locked in I would think um, one is um, physical aspect of yoga which is asana practice which I think we're all kind of understand the other is the whole intellectualizing of yoga there are two beautiful ways we get our ego so attached to. One is to the body, another two is the mind. So through the body, we are trying to force ourselves to find peace. And through the mind, we are trying to say, oh, I know this, I'm, I, I understand this. And so that I will go and talk about this to others to really attract more people, follow me, not really um, having, but if you actually look at these two paths, which is leading us, is actually taking towards suffering. And any yoga teacher who's doing amazing um, asana practice is not free from suffering. He's also experiencing pain. He's also experiencing ups and downs in life. There are a lot of um, emotions which overflow and there is no equanimity at all. And also for people who are so obsessed with the intellectual knowledge of yoga, because that is so beautiful. Like you can say a quote about, yoga sutras and you can talk about it for hours and there are 500 people listening to you and it gives you a ego boost you know and there is also kind of a there's there is something we are stuck to the attachment to so these two are biggest obstacles to actually live yoga i would say if you want to really live yoga go into silence for three four days and that is where you will live yoga practice not in your asanas, not in your yoga sutras, uh, not in your brain. You can't think and experience anything. You actually have to put that in your mouth to feel it, you know. So right now, there's a lot of reading about yoga happening, which is great. But there is no time to actually sit 
and practice. That's what we want in the future to actually make people experience that stillness. And it only will happen with sitting in silence. Nothing else will bring you that. You can be an amazing handstand practitioner or you can talk about Yoga Sutras in so many beautiful different languages, but it won't cut it. If you really want to experience that true joy, give yourself time to sit in silence. And that, if we can train in the right way, use the tool, beautiful tool, asana, to make our body healthy and the spine straight so that I can sit for a long time and use the beautiful sutras, which is giving us a direction and actually sit and follow that direction. Like there are so many sutras. It says yoga chitta vritti nirodha, the first, second sutra. It says yoga stops all the mental modifications of the mind, right? How many of us actually have an experience? We speak about it as yoga teachers and yoga practitioners. We say, oh, yoga means to stop this and be calm in all situations. How many of you actually can of us can actually practice it. Why is it difficult? Because it is still an intellectual level. It's not a practice. How can it become a practice? Actually sit with one sutra and repeat it maybe a hundred times in your mind and don't do anything else. Don't look at your phone. Don't post about it. Don't, don't even talk about it. Just sit with it. And then it will start to make a difference. And you can try many different ways of meditating, right? So you can choose one particular way and sit for a few days. I'm not talking about a few hours, actually a few days in silence. And that is when the real yoga start to happen. And that is where I think all the gurus, if you look at any gurus who, um, who have achieved that state of Samadhi or like say Buddha or Jesus or Ramana Maharshi, they all sat in silence. There is no other secret to it. There is literally no secret. Nobody read the Yoga Sutras and became a guru, you know? So there is, there is that missing connection we want to try and bridge. And uh, this also comes from a very um, like deep uh, reverence to the technique Vipassana, uh, through which I have just recently experienced. And this all made, made sense to me in a very deeper level when I sat there for 10 days. Uh, in silence, you know, for 10 hours. So actually sit and do the pranayama, actually sit and do the dharana. That is what we want. And that should be something, if everybody does that, we'll all have a very equanimous mind. And whatever we do from there will not harm others. We will have a beautiful society which is only trying to serve others. So that's kind of our goal, um, like a big goal we have yeah it's a great vision i when you were expressing it reminded me of something my teacher would say that the the, the gyan or the knowledge is like the signpost but so often we get stuck because we go up the signpost instead of heading the direction that it's pointing like and it, and it is it's interesting to hear you express and i'm wondering what your thoughts are on this because like how you're talking of those two points that we get stuck it's like it feels universal it doesn't matter if like you know i'm in canada or i don't know if it's the same for people in china or people in india like getting stuck with the attachment to the body the attachment to the mind and how even yoga which is 
you know, in its essence, so pure, and it, it brings us beyond that, but we can get stuck in the yoga practice, in the mind and in the body. Is that your experience, like everywhere you've been? Or is it different, say, in India or China, or when you're traveling around? I think um, in in China, it's more the more curious even more curious than uh, people in india because in india it's not a novelty anymore it's been there so everybody have tried yoga in there so some of them i identify yoga as asana some of them identify as meditation some of them identify as bhakti you know so there are different interpretation of yoga in india and it's always been there so there is no a lot that's not a lot of curiosity rather there is a feeling of yeah i know yoga you know there is this kind of it's my thing so i have this understanding but in China, there's a lot more curious. Why? What is this practice about? And why are we doing this physically? And there are a lot of physical attachment as well. But it has changed in the recent years. So my classes were more on yoga philosophy. They, they became popular than my yoga asana classes. So there was a shift I saw. And I was in Jordan recently. And there were more interested in Bhagavad Gita and understanding the essence of the spiritual practices and they're trying to understand it through Quran. So they're trying to match that. So I think the shift is happening and uh, it will definitely uh, be more accelerated in the future. That's what I think in every other part I've seen, but in India, it's always there. It's like in the blood and, uh, uh, but now India is also kind of catching up with the studio culture uh, to be fit and to, which is also great. I don't want to see it as something which is a obstacle unless and until you have that opportunity for them to first come there to face that space and face their understanding. Then if you can give them a little bit more and a little bit more, give them a taste, they will try to hold on to that and they will start climbing by themselves. Um, so there is, again, everybody have to start somewhere. So where do they start is based on what their actions were before and they've come here. So some people come because of suffering, some people come because of health, some people come because they just want to try new things. The intention is to come and experience. That is enough um, wherever you start. I think um, in different cultures, it's different because of different understanding and different experience they go through. But I think that is um, something I'm not very keen on um, understanding yet because I think wherever they come, I'm happy. So mm -hmm. we just come, <laughs> you know. So yeah, come to experience yoga and then maybe give them a bit of taste and they will hold on to it more than you want to. We want them to, right? So it's always their karma also, I believe, from where they start. So for me, because I can't judge them because as a, if I judge them, I'm a hypocrite, right? Because I started yoga when I was 12 and I, I stuck with asana practice until I was 20. So eight years of just doing asanas and who am I to judge another person who's coming for asana for one month or two months, right? So I would never, yeah, I think it's great to start there, but mm -hmm. it's only, it's not great if you get stuck there. That's right. Yeah, you're missing out the beauty of it. Yeah. Right. Which kind of comes back to how you were talking about, you know, you're finding your teacher and for all of us, the importance of becoming curious and moving towards finding a teacher that 
lives yoga that really understands the essence and can lead us to the stillness because in this oversaturated world right now of 200 hour yoga teachers there's there's it can get missed a lot so your teacher has been so important to you my teachers have been so important to me also so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to the importance of having or finding a teacher. Mm -hmm. I think um, I also go with the saying, the teacher appears when the student is ready, because that's exactly what happened to me. Um, whenever I was ready to receive the aspect of yoga beyond what I wanted, um, just the asana. So when I wanted asana, the asana teacher appeared in front of me. When I wanted the spiritual practices, uh, even Ramana Maharishi, he appeared in front of me, like it just happened. So all I would say is even if there is a lot of confusion around you, you commit to the practice you know the best at this moment, you know? So whatever is right for you at this moment, whatever feels comfortable and which is not harming your body and mind and you feel complete in that practice, stick to the practice. The practice will eventually guide you to find the teacher you you need and you need for need to grow so just trusting in that one practice you already started you know because you started this practice for some reason and just go with that and be more 100 percent. give your 100 percent to it to learn but also you should know if it is harming you in any way you know so that kind of clarity uh you have to do some research on how is it helping me? And once you have that clarity, go deeper into that practice. And that practice will go from one teacher to another teacher. And when you're ready, the other teacher will appear. The other teacher will appear. So in a way, I think everybody is a teacher. So even in life, you meet a lot of people. And at that moment, you learn from them. And then you move to the next one. And then you have to learn something. You learn and then you'll move to the next one. So the learning never stops. And the teachers will come. You just have to focus on the practice, what you believe right is right for you at this moment. I feel that's uh, my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. And you, you, met, you said a word before, you, you mentioned something about clarity and that kind of brought me back to before when you were also unsure of what to do when COVID came and you were in your silent meditation and you asked like, what should I do next? And like, also the importance for us to start begin to cultivate stillness so that we can listen to our inner knowing and our inner teacher as well to come up and say like this is the next step or if there's doubt or confusion to prioritize the silence and the stillness as something that's so essential to unfolding the next steps as they should come definitely i totally believe that because we get so caught up with the noise and we are so confused because there is so much noise which which noise should i follow because there's so many desires only in that stillness all the noise cancels out by itself and you are like plugging into a headphone which is canceling all the noise out and actually showing your real truth like you know shining upon uh, what is really that you need to do it can be very material at that point. It can be very uh, spiritual. There is nothing, there is no judgments there. There is no demarcation. It can be anything which will come up and show you from the deep inside. And that won't change constantly like today and tomorrow and day after. It won't change. It will be like kind of a similar voice which 
comes up and gives you that feeling and the more we listen to it and more we actually patiently sit with it it will start to uh, be a little bit more louder and uh, once it becomes loud enough it will manifest by itself as an action you know so even though we can't find that voice i would say just sit with sit with whatever voice is coming up and see if that voice is getting louder in your head if that is voice is getting louder and even you don't have to act somehow the universe manifests that into action so just sit that's uh, something i've learned in my journey as well because after covid you really don't know um, there is no means of uh, living and you have established some school there and a lot of your ego starts to speak up you spend 6 years of your life there and you have nothing here you know and that stillness actually gave me died before lockdown i just said to my mom going to this ashram i'm not going to come back for four or five days and right after i came the next day it was lockdown so you can't travel anymore you have to sit at your house right so it was like a beautiful way to for me to start the lockdown also because you came from that clarity and so you're not agitated anymore about what's coming mhm yeah and the power of having that practice i know for me also i was in lockdown in jaipur and like just did you ta- already have established some level of meditation was so like powerful and to be able to sit in the stillness and just the cultivating of that how then you know like you said the many desires and the conflicts of life they're always coming but i love the way you express that you know the un- the unchanging seat of the of the watcher in the meditation is just such a gift to life so thank you for sharing that and um uh, i'm wondering what what you're working on next or what your next vision is for the in your own personal practice or in your yoga offerings what's coming up next so i would like to um sit in this stillness for much longer period of times uh time let's say for like let's say one month i'm off on a silent retreat or try not to speak and focus on meditating so that's the long term goal because taking one month off from family and work and weekly intense because you still are not there yet so i also believe the time will come for that but i'm preparing myself to it physically mentally and in the studio uh, and also um, kind of motivating my team to do the same so everyone is given an opportunity to go sit in silence uh, in, in for 10 days before and they can come back again so everyone should go and explore what works for them and as a team they will go and explore and they come back and offer so many beautiful things to the people here in the community here and also offering some silent retreats so that whatever taste they get out of it if they feel invited they can do that by themselves themselves at home or they can take off for 2 3 days by themselves and sit and do the meditation by themselves so making it making sitting in silence a more cool part of the community and actually want people to like want people to desire that you know so that's something i want to work on for myself and for the people around me so that everyone should desire oh my god i want to go for like 5 days like silence or 10 days silence or 20 days silence how can i go and do that how can i actually have that practice and then come back again to life and try to use all of that and 
live their life from there. It's not like running away from my um, present life, but actually cultivate strength there so I can come back and and just beautifully spread that love and compassion while you're actually in that moment with your all the distractions and obstacles which you're in, like facing every day. So yeah, that's one thing I think I want to do for myself and for the community. Yeah, I imagine every employer encouraged their employees to do a Vipassana or 10 days silence, what the world would look like. Could you imagine? <laughs> That would be amazing, right? So I am really impressed if uh, anyone watching this or curious about Vipassana, I would like to talk about that also a lot um, because um, it it really changed the way uh, yoga experience um, from intellectual, like I said, to an experience, right? So it would be very difficult, it'll be challenging. It's uh, not something which is easy, but it's really, really like, uh, life changing for a yoga practitioner. So I would say everybody should try it. And uh, it would be great because uh, through uh, Vipassana, people in the, in the prison have tried for 10 days and they have felt amazing change and they felt love and compassion in their hearts, you know. So if people in prison can sit in silence for 10 days, for 10 hours and feel this way, we're all someone from the prison, right? We all are own, we are all stuck in our own prisons. So we also can get more benefited by or from our own conditioning and thoughts and we can get freedom from that, you know? But it's challenging practice, I wouldn't deny that, but um, it would be great if everybody could do that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my Vipassana was like the hardest thing I've ever done. I've also felt like, I've never felt more caged in into the discomfort of a body than sitting, but yeah, it's super powerful. And, and I don't know if you had this experience, but when I did it, then it's like, I've always been craving and longing to do it again. It's like to dip into that space is so like, we don't, you don't even feel it's like you embody the stillness, the silence. It's so seeped in the experience that it becomes beyond the experience and I also really, really loved it, but it's been quite a while since I did one. So you're lighting me up to do another one, <laughs> one. or even longer one. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. In whatever way you can sit by yourself for even one day or two, that's great too. You know, you don't have to go away for 10 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although yeah. it is nice there when someone's cooking for you and no one's talking around you to find <laughs> the space to just like go to a place where you have no family commitments it's pretty hard in this crazy world that we live in that is very true so yeah mm -hmm. right yeah so um where anyone that's listening if they want to take classes from you or study with you or learn more from you where can they find you so i feel yeah if any of you are invited you can um find us on atmayogashala.com um, so there are classes, we have group lessons, private lessons, retreats, intensives, and also teacher training programs in the tradition of Vinyasa and trying to offer the best of my learning from my teacher and all the people uh, in the team are also students of yoga. 
and we believe we always want to be students of yoga and practice and anybody is welcome to join that community of students and practice with us and we all grow together that's the intention yeah that's so beautiful so i always love to ask my guests to leave the curious listeners with any final words of wisdom from your own spiritual journey that you can spread towards Mm. us to take with us okay so i'm not such a great yogi or anything to leave wisdom but i will try uh um i really love a quote by ramdas and he said uh, let's be kind to each other because we walk each other home i really resonate with it and i feel that's the only purpose to live a life to be able to share love and hold somebody if they are in pain and really hold space for each one of them coming into your life and have a true feeling of love not just for anything which no strings attached love you know um so that's something i'm trying to live by which is difficult you always have your human desires coming up and showing up all the time but this is the wisdom which moved me so i would like to share this with all of you beautiful yeah. well thank you for sharing your love and your wisdom and your just beautiful energy with us i'm really thankful to spend this time together this intimate conversation i know like i said and we've said many times like life is so busy and chaotic so it just warms my heart and humbles me to get to have these beautiful conversations where we talk about the deeper things you know not that they're more or less important than the other things but just that we can share in this space so I really want to acknowledge you and thank you for that thank you for having me and I'm a great fan of all your um, beautiful work to the society and you're like the karma yogi who's living so please continue and I will try and help share not help share as much as i can as well on the path and uh, you are such an inspiration and keep doing what you're doing and all the best to you too thank you so much thank you and hopefully we'll get to meet in person soon i'd love to come to chennai and take a retreat or are you guys doing retreats um like in other places do you have any retreats coming up next year so we have two retreats uh, planned for next year one is jordan and uh, floating in the dead sea is something we can do together and meditate <laughs> or uh, another one is in kenya we're doing a yoga safari retreat uh, we're going to be with the wild animals and um, just be in silence and be in nature nature is a great healer so these two places are in the list for the next year so yeah you can you're invited to both amazing well those <laughs> Those sound pretty cool. Floating in the Dead Sea or meditating on the safari. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social. And of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.